Welcome to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. We're the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. On the Voice of Truth Radio Show, we'll be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, current events from a biblical perspective. We're on Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3. That's not AM. We have better spots than that, right? <laughs> well, you run this radio show. Yeah. We don't put ourselves on the AM. Pe- I know some people. We, we're fun. <laughs> oh, Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3, podcast, Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. And you can get all of our shows there. We've not been here in a few weeks. That's what happens, uh, you know, when you're running from the law. They catch up with you from time to time. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not on the lamb anymore? I just like saying that on the lamb. (laughs) On the lamb, that sounds cool, doesn't it? I think that's what they said in the 70s. You You weren't even born yet in the 70s, were you? Yes, I was. What year were you born? 77. 77. I made it. (laughs) (laughs) You were born uh, one year after the 200 year anniversary of America. Yeah, and I think that means something. Well, I'm not what it, I don't know what it means, but. (laughs) Do you know, in 1976. I was 12 years old, so I'm, what, 12, 13 years older than you. And we were in, uh, we took this vacation of a lifetime. Our whole family, my grandfather had a, um, a motorhome. We piled in the motorhome, took a, uh, from West Virginia all the way. I don't know if we went through Iowa or not. I could have maybe. What, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't know, right? <laughs> so we went all the way to California where my uncles lived. And my, my uncle, this is a great story, my uncle, when he was like 22, 23, he and my grandfather, who owned the motorhome, uh, didn't get along. So, oh, that makes <laughs> an interesting trip. Yeah, so he hitchhiked. California back then was the place to go. Yeah. He hitchhiked to California, ran out of money in uh, Nevada. This is not a pro-gambling stance, but he stopped, gambled, won $300. And made it all the way to California and became a gazillionaire out there. Oh, wow. and so we went out there and stayed with him the whole summer in uh, Newport Beach, which is oh, like Primo. Okay, area. you're from California. Oh, that's, we man. stayed there the whole summer. It was it was like uh, it was like living in Disneyland, which Disneyland was right there. We yep. went to Disney Nosbury Farms, yeah, uh, what well, Universal Studios, yeah, and and the beach was it, it's like a it's, it's like a playland. It's like Fantasyland. Yeah. Every car was a Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. Every I used to, in the area we lived in, we used to call the Tesla the Camry of Southern California. <laughs> Tesla here. They're everywhere, Tesla there. yeah. Teslas, if you listen to them, they, they sound very cool if you're like yeah. right next to them. Have you ever been in one before when it's taken off? No. I've, I've been in the front seat, and there was a, a car dealership owner that attended our church there in Southern California, and he was driving a Tesla one week as one of the cars that he would drive. He said, have you ever been in one of these before? I said, no, well, get in. He mashed uh, – our church was kind of back off the main road in this, like, um, 
corporate like building area. And so there was long stretches of road with nobody on them. And he mashes on that gas. And I'm telling you what, in like two seconds, yeah. it's like it's like one of those roller coasters that just takes off at 100 miles an yeah. hour. I mean, it was like that. I mean, he just mashed down and woo, I was back in the back of that seat. And it was crazy. It's pretty neat. I have a buddy in the Senate who drives a, he's like, you know, mega wealthy, but he's a great guy. Um, so he brings a different car every, <laughs> every day to session. He's got a Corvette. He's got a big F. 250 and he's got this uh mercedes i forget which one but he said hey mike hop in i, I needed to go pick up my truck i said so he's giving me a, a ride downtown charles so he's getting come on we'll go down so he he we come out of that stoplight he floors that thing i'm telling you I flew back in the yeah. seat. My head went dizzy. I could have passed out. <laughs> it's like G, like 12 Gs coming <laughs> on you. It was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, uh, what's the movie with Tom Cruise? when he Oh, Top Gun. You Top Gun. Flying. Was, oh, we were flying. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but we've been, um, uh, yours truly has been ill. And um, I think that one of the most important things to do is when you're sick, tell everybody about it. Yeah. You get you know? pity soup sometimes. <laughs> everybody you loves get... to hear your medical problems. They do. And uh, so I had some medical. I had, uh, I had the COVID. Okay. And um, didn't think I had it. I was down two weeks. Wow. Two weeks. Um, and... Finally, my wife said, all right, babe, you're going to the hospital. Nope, I'm not going. I'm not going. I've been, I'm 56 years old. I've never been to the hospital. Wow. Ever. Wow. So I'm not going to go to the hospital. <laughs> but so, this made you. <laughs> but this, I had a miserable, was, this was on a Friday night. We could go Friday, whatever date today is. Today's the 6th of October. So, you know, this is two or three weeks ago. So, uh I get sick and I wake up on a Friday morning. This is Friday morning three weeks ago. And then go through this. I didn't think I had COVID. Um, and um, so a week into it, I had just had the most miserable, miserable night at home the night before. I mean, just miserable. And it was like 9, 9.30 at night the next night. And I am not feeling any better. My wife said, you're going to the hospital. Honey, you go to the hospital. My, my son chimes in. He's a 20-year-old college student. Dad, I'll take you. You go to the hospital. And no, I'm not going <laughs> I am not going to the hospital. I don't know if you ever saw Gilligan's Island. I will not dress up like a girl. I will not dress up like a girl. You can't make me. You can't make me. And then he's uh, – Skipper has him in. in a, so anyway, uh Finally, I'm thinking, I'm not going through tonight when I went through last night in terms of just pure nausea oh. and headache. And That was the thing. It wasn't like the typical, oh, I don't know what typical yeah, well, symptoms I, are for I, this. I had no, but... We were talking about this before we came on there. Uh, I had no breathing problems, no breathing issues at all. I had no fever. So I'm thinking, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, uh, I've got something else. I had other issues going on that. I was pretty sure that there was some kind of a stomach problem or esophageal. And um, so finally, we went down to the hospital, which was a miserable experience. Ugh. Because they, they <laughs> you go down the wait, the waiting room is like, um, oh my goodness, just like a scene from Mars or something. <laughs> People are just miserable. Oh. Because. Uh, there was two or three of us that we needed to, <laughs> we needed to lay down. All right, I want so this. Finally, you're in the waiting room. This the gal brings you in. Come on in, uh, 
I said, Mr. Rasinger, you're going to know. So I go in and to do all the paperwork. I said, ma'am, I am going right now to lie down on this floor. She said, you will not lie down. Because <laughs> she knew I wouldn't play it. I got to lay down. <laughs> and uh, finally I get to a bed. I was there. Uh, we got there about 930, 10 o'clock, 1030 maybe. And we didn't leave till 530 in the morning just Man. getting t- test run. I thought I was, I thought I had some, some kind of a serious issue but praise god i've been checked by two doctors you know everyone you know i'm a diabetic i got diabetic issues but other than that i'm healthy that's good yeah i mean i don't look real good so they put put you up on the rack checked your oil and yep and you're all good yep here i am so thank you lord (laughs) i mean really because because uh my the the doctor uh i had another doc i was telling the story but i ran into another doctor uh on, over the weekend when I didn't feel good. And he said, you don't look good. He started taking my pulse. My pulse was like 120, 130. And uh, he said, your eyes look bad. He said, uh, if you'll sign some papers, I can look at all your work that you had done at the hospital, uh, you know, when I went down there. And so he texts me a couple of days later. He said, hey, uh, look at your stuff. Can I call you and Jackie, my wife? Oh, why do you want to call <laughs> both of us? You, yeah, exactly. This can't be good. Exactly. exactly. What do you want to know about my life insurance policy? That's my wife's. So, um, so everything was grace. He said, you know, here's some concerns, but for the most part, you're healthy. Yeah. He went through every organ. Your kidneys are good. Your liver's good. Your pancreas, gallbladder. Uh, so I'm thinking, praise God. Thank you, yeah. Lord. Especially kidneys. You, when you're a diabetic, your kidneys are always an issue and uh, I, one thing i do do i you know i've got my bad habits but i drink tons of water I, you, mm. you know me yep. i got water by me all the time and uh here i am so um i just uh, bored our audience with <laughs> or, <laughs> hey you got your medical complaints for the year in and you don't get to do that very often no, i mean don't. come on that's like good. i said first time i've been to the hospital now if any of you folks that are listening want me to stop by your house and uh, tell you my medical problems <laughs> just send an email <laughs> We'll I'm get glad a schedule to do it. put together. <laughs> I am glad to come by and uh, tell you about how miserable I was at the hospital. <laughs> Why? What is it in us? It's uh, something innate. It must have happened at the fall that uh, that when we are sick, we want to tell somebody. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean? So, uh, so I just told uh, our audience. Yeah. All right. So, what else, uh, a preacher? We got uh, coming up. Uh, we got a couple things this segment. And then um, we're going to do a critical race theory segment next. And you just you've been teaching at church, and I've been sick, so I missed I missed two of them. Um, uh, but tonight you'll finish. Yeah, it up. So we're I'll finishing it tonight. up. Yeah. And then a former Mormon missionary finds Jesus. I've been I've had this story for weeks, and I've been wanting to tell it. So we'll tell that. It's a great. Great little story about uh, a Mormon missionary. She's go, you know, they go on their mission trip, mm-hmm. part of the deal, and runs into a Baptist preacher. And I, you know, I think it'll bring up good conversation because I think a lot of, of people would say, "Well, don't they already know Jesus?" Or isn't the Mormonism the same thing as Christianity? Because you know, we we have all these kind of spurious beliefs that are out there, and the tendency of the world is to congeal them all together and think it's all the same yes. thing. And so I think it'll be an interesting conversation. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ is not a popular thing. No, it's not. Yeah. But that's what he said. Mm-hmm. I'm the way, the truth, right. the life. No man comes to the Father but by mm-hmm. me. That's right. And that causes a lot of consternation. A lot of, but uh, it is also truth. And if we don't know truth, 
We can't uh, be free. We can't be free. Okay, so a couple of articles uh, that I want to hit in the first segment here. In God We Trust signs coming to all classrooms in Benton School District. So this is Benton, Arkansas. Okay. And a buddy of mine uh, down there is in the state senate, started a group called National Association of Christian Legislators. Jason Rapert is his name. I think he's behind this, but he's a just an excellent man, and um, I'm part of that NACL group. Um, but here it is, Benton, Arkansas, the national motto. So what is our national motto, folks out there? Do you know? I had to double check. <laughs> Confessing <laughs> what was in there, by the way. National motto is, in God we trust. When mm-hmm. did that become the national motto, uh, Preacher? I'm going to... Uh, 1960-something? Are you looking it up? Are you looking? <laughs> <laughs> He's on 19... his phone. Yeah, okay, your generation is... Um, 1956, Eisenhower. There you go. In God We Trust uh, will soon hang on the walls of every Benton School District classroom wall. See, folks, there's victories out there, too. The yeah. signs were delivered Thursday... Um, which would have been like a couple of weeks ago. The signs were delivered Thursday to the district by the Benton Women of Prayer United. Tina Ernest, a member of the prayer organization, delivered the first bulk of In God We Trust signs to Howard Perrin Elementary. Hmm. How about that? What if, uh, so I've been praying for three years to have these Put in the Benton School District, said Ernest. What a great name. Yeah. If you're running for office, Ernest would be a ben good name. To she spoke at the school board meeting this week. The board voted to have the signs displayed in all classrooms and cafeterias. Wow. How about that? It's bold. Do- donors from across the community have chipped in to fund them. And in total, 750 posters are framed and ready for delivery. Whoever sees these posters in the rooms, in the offices... Uh, that God will draw their eyes to them and prompt to know to trust in God. That's her prayer. She knows she might get pushback from some people, so that's why uh, uh, they have an attorney involved and all that. But uh, um, if school hangs the signs, they must donate to the district, meaning school funding will not pay for them. So they have to be paid for by non-taxpayer dollars, apparently, which is bogus. But anyway... Uh, so there you go. There's some good news. In God We Trust cool. posters on the schools uh, in Benton, Arkansas. That's great. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. So that's our school motto. Boy, we wouldn't. Uh, uh, well, why is it controversial to have the national motto on the classroom yeah. in schools? Yeah. I'm back. I can feel it. I can <laughs> it's feel coursing it. through your veins. <laughs> the COVID is releasing into the room. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good on that. Uh, thanks, but no banks. Nebraska becomes the first state to say they will not comply with Biden's snooping plan to have banks report every transaction over $600 to the IRS. Did you Man, hear about this? I was reading about this. That's a scary proposal. $600 oh to the IRS. So every transaction, is, am I right in, in saying every transaction a person makes above $600 in or out of their account 
automatically flags the uh, IRS, and they're all over the top of finding out what this is all about. I is don't that... know if that's exactly how okay. it happens, but Boy, it, it is sounds something. Like it doesn't. Yes, it? It's, oh. some, it's something to that effect. Uh, Nebraska is uh, so. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to. Um, run a bill like this. I'm sure others down in Charleston will do the same. But this is, of course, um, tyranny. And Secretary Janet, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is all over this. All over this. Who wants to do this? How do you, what what American, what true American, freedom-loving, constitution-loving American would want to do well, this? it seems to me like you used to have to get a warrant or, you know, some kind of, um, yeah intervention with cause to be able to start snooping around in people's private business. Well, you know where I think this started is that $10,000 deposit uh, that had to do with drug drug money. Oh. That was the first thing. If you make a deposit of $10,000, they flag it, mm-hmm. it goes wherever, IRS or wherever, I don't know. So that's why everyone deposited $9,900, <laughs> you know, hello. So $600... Um, uh, the only good news about that is, hey, I'm ne- my, ours is never that high anyway. So. <laughs> We're safe. <laughs> We're Six hundred bucks. So um, Nebraska is already promising to defy a Biden proposal. That's what we need to do. This is America, man. Start defying stuff. Yeah. Uh, that would require banks to hand over data on transactions over six hundred dollars on individual bank accounts. To the IRS. My message is really simple. The people of Nebraska entrusted. This is a good guy in Nebraska here. This uh, uh, the people of Nebraska entrusted me to protect the privacy of these accounts, and I'm not going to comply with this. If the Biden administration sues me, we will take it all the way to the Supreme Court. We're going to fight every step of the way, says State Treasurer John Moranti, or Morant, um, on Fox Business. Wow. Um, so there you go. There you got a patriot there who's saying, uh, yeah, not well, on I, my wall. I was reading about why they're doing this and they're actually going after unreported income. And so in order to go after unreported income, they're treating everybody like criminals ahead of time, yeah. snooping through their stuff, demanding banks release information based on these purchases. Presuming I mean, guilt. I mean, this is very much like police state activity this is like you know hey we're taking over your accounts we're taking over and 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 this is i think some of the problem with the uptick and and uh desire to push digital currency on everybody mm. i mean that's being talked about more and more and more and oh, more yes and uh, this digital currency it's thing is going to be another it's... way that they're just able to know everything you do in your transactions yeah yeah it's uh it's all about control yeah. and uh the police state and tyranny uh, no doubt, no doubt about that. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the presumption of in, innocence is is it's gone. gone there, right? There's no due process. There's no hey, we've yeah. got an indication here because we haven't received paperwork that we should receive, and we we got it from this entity, but we didn't get it from this individual that they received money. So we have po- plausible cause, probable cause to go after them. So let's get a warrant and let's look through their. their that's not what this is. This no. is just you spent six hundred dollars. You're a criminal. We're going to start looking through your transactions. It's yeah. just, uh, it's mind blowing. It really is. All right. So that's the first segment down, folks, of the Voice of Truth Radio Show. When we get back, we're going to talk um, critical race theory. We haven't talked about this for weeks uh, because we haven't done the show in several weeks for one and uh, we're going to though 
because we go. need to. Um, Critical Race Theory, when we get back, you're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show with Mike Azinger, Brian Leversey. We'll be back in just a sec. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with my sidekick, Pastor Brian Leversey, pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church in Vienna, from where we broadcast down in the the bowels of the church. You'll never find us. Don't <laughs> even try. Don't even try looking. You won't find us down here. No. I will deny it even. Why don't we cater this uh, radio show? Why do we not cater food? I know. I think that's a great idea. Let me uh, see who I can talk to. About that. <laughs> You're not going to check, are you? Probably not. <laughs> I'll All get right, you so water, though. You like water. Hey, I love water. All right, so this segment, folks, we're going to go in and talk about critical race theory, Pastor Leversey. If you're a member of uh, or attend uh, Fellowship Apps Church on Wednesday night, has been teaching on this. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, social justice as a whole. Um, obviously, critical theory and, and critical race theory are are kind of mechanisms or vehicles to to try to take social justice and and make it the god of this world, trying mm-hmm. to build a utopia for man. And, of course, we know in a broken, sinful world, that's humanly impossible. Yes, we, it always, we need the gospel. It always brings misery. It when does. man tries to bring heaven on earth, it never includes God, and it always uh, includes misery. That's right. Well, it's because man sets himself up to be God in that Yes, scenario. and that's, not, that's never good. Critical race theory, special warfare, and Christian loves the title of the article— uh, from Gospel of Agape, which I had never heard of. I forget where I found this article. but um, So we'll just move along here, and then uh pastor's going to comment as we go. Um, uh, we've talked about critical race theory a lot, but um, uh, it's so this will— uh, we'll get back into it, a refresher course and, and learn— uh, 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 reacquaint well, ourselves with it definitions. It certainly hasn't gone away thing. since we, we've started talking about it's it. It's not, yeah. and it's not going to. Critical race theory has been around for decades, but it is it is coming to the forefront of Western culture so fast it will give you whiplash. So we all already went through the whiplash stage. Yeah. Uh, the day I read about CRT is the same day I found out that it is dividing uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. By the way, uh, Vadi Bakum wrote a book called Fault Lines, which is very good. Um, and Vadi Bakum is a, a black theologian in the mm-hmm. Southern Baptist Church and uh, did a great, great job with the book. The largest group of churches, almost a, domin- a denomination, but not outside the Catholic Church, is splitting over CRT. That would be the Southern Baptist Convention. So what is it? Should Christians adhere to it? Critical theory is a broad... Um, Broad area of knowledge that originated with a Frankfurt school in the 1930s. So this is how far back it goes, the 1930s with the Frankfurt school. It's expanded and evolved dramatically since then. Contemporary critical theory views, uh, contemporary, and I want you to comment on this, Pastor. Uh, I'm going to feed you this, but contemporary critical theory views reality through the lens of power, dividing people into oppressed groups and oppressor groups mm-hmm. along various axes like race, gender, sexual orientation, physical ability, and age. So it's the lens of power mm-hmm. dividing people into oppressor and oppressed. Yeah. That's the Marxism of it. That is. 
Yeah. And, you know, what it is, is, like I said, an attempt where where basically this process of social justice becomes the new religion. Man becomes the new God. And you never see a solution in this. You only ever see problems. The, the, the issue is, is that you're constantly finding what they call inequities or areas where people are not treated or or classified the way that they want to be classified. And so it stirs up the desire to constantly be at war with each other. There's no peace through this. There's no reconciliation. There's no forgiveness. There's never an end to it. That's why in any uh, culture where this has taken root, you have a perpetual dictatorship followed by anarchy and constant revolutions is because once you start that process of pitting people against each other as a means for trying to bring about a utopia, you just created perpetual warfare. And it, it, it just it, – it snowballs. Uh, and that's what Marxism does. If, if you look at all the countries across the world that became uh, Marxist mm-hmm. during the 20th century, you know, tens of millions of people died through this. This isn't just a, you know, a game. No. I mean, this, is, this is a serious, uh, a serious flaw in, in uh, theology. It's a and, theology. And it's a very poor substitute for the gospel because why would you want to substitute for the gospel something that never reconciles? Which is something, the anti-gospel. Yeah. It's contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to the gospel. It never reconciles. It never brings forgiveness in. It never brings peace in. It, yep. it, it, you just, it solves nothing. Yes, and that, and that's that's the point of it. Marx was an, uh, an evil man, probably mm-hmm. a sat- Satanist, and uh, he, uh, you know, he, he was... He was all about pitting people against each other and, and causing uh, uh, friction and so on, and th- and that's what he did. He started. Uh, he did it with race, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. There's just those two, mm-hmm. and the bourgeoisie oppressed, and the proletariat was the oppressor. Yeah. And that was an economic kind of. It was economic uh, struggle, right? Yeah. yeah. And so now and, we have a, a race. Struggle. And this is this is what they do here, and that's because we have slavery in our history, which, by the way. Uh, is sinful. I mean, you don't treat any human being as though they're property. That, that's unbiblical. Right. And and you know we've we've gone through repercussions for that because of of that in our history. But what they do is they dig up the sins of the past. There's no resolution. There's no forgiveness. There's no mm. uh, ability to reconcile that. And then they use that to reopen wounds perpetually and cause violence so that they can come in and, and, and have the power over how these things try to kind of shake out. And it's, it's, a, it's a diabolical, uh, evil uh, philosophy. It really is. It is that. So let's talk. Uh, let's talk. You, you, um, we were talking about the, the uh, theory of equality versus equity. Um. The philosophy uh, behind it. So let's talk about that for a second, because that's that's a big part of this, mm-hmm. um, and it's mentioned here in the article. CRT divides people into groups and then sets them up against one another to achieve equity. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what heaven on earth is. What they want mm-hmm. everything to be equal for everyone, everyone, everything the same. It is essential to note the difference between equality and equity. Equity or equality. It's a policy where each person is treated the same. It's a foundational principle in U.S. law, rights of the individual, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. That's equality. Right. Everybody has the, the same uh, right to pursue um, life, liberty, and, and pursuit of happiness. 
so this is drawn from the theology of the image of God upon the individual. Right. Equity, not equality, equity is placing one group at a disadvantage to another to solve former issues um, and and to to, to 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 you know to create the um, the friction and the uh, the hatred towards towards these two groups. Yeah, yeah. it's always creating uh, creating hatred between well, two groups and fighting and friction and so on. The false assumption behind critical theory and this idea of equity is they want equal outcomes for everyone, not equal opportunity to be treated equally. And, and the false presumption is, is that man can somehow pay off the debt of sin. Like if, if this group that we label as an oppressor, if we can tax them enough or if we can ridicule them enough or if we can get them to dispossess their own inheritance enough, um, like they're doing with white privilege right now, trying to get people to classify themselves as, you know, uh, an anti-racist now and de- devalue their own race and and eliminate their own heritage. If we can do that enough, then we can make up for the sins of the past. And that's a disnomer. Man can never pay off his own sins. That's why Jesus, being God, had to come from heaven to earth. And when he died on the cross and he bore all men's sins, all men's sins on himself, he provided the only true way that reconciliation can happen. He provided the only true way that men's sins can be paid for. And now things can be reconciled because of what he's done, not because of what we force an oppressor group to do or or force another group to do or, or try to change this person's identity or try to get compensation back for past sins. You will never be able to do enough to pay off your own sins. That's why Jesus came. And man, and man doesn't, man uh, outside of Christ doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily want forgiveness right mm-hmm. or, or reconciliation revenge. we want revenge yeah. we want to all couch ourselves in the okay, until oh, you hurt as much as i hurt i'm not going to be happy with you. <laughs> right but how do you how do you quantify that you you can't you can't and and you just might be <clears throat> more guilty of oppressing of people than you will be you know but everyone everyone tucks uh, tucks themselves into the oppressed class yep. so that they're the victim and they're right. innocent so it creates a culture of victimhood Victimhood and and a false sense of, of, of innocence mm-hmm. that is a self righteousness right. is what it is. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to to uh, hit on that. I think you uh, dealt well with the equality uh, and, and your point about equity being a uh, an equity of, of outcome. Right. Everything everything the same for everybody. And, and it's impossible. And life is and that's certain. That's not how. God set up the universe. Yeah. He doesn't work that way. Well, and, and you, I don't think that's your ultimate goal. I mean, think about even the the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Scripture. And the, it says the rich man was wealthy and he wore the finest clothes and he dined on the finest food every day. And he lifted up his eyes in hell being in torment when he died. And then you had Lazarus who sat at his gate, ate his crumbs. There was not... Uh, an equitable, so to speak, situation there. And yet, because Jesus was involved, if the rich man knew Jesus, he would have been in heaven. If the poor man Lazarus knew Jesus, he'd be in heaven. That's where you get true equality. The gospel yeah. brings true equality. We're all equal sinners at the foot of the cross, but we all equally have the opportunity to be saved and be freed from our sin if we'll trust Jesus, regardless if you're rich or poor, black or white, oppressed, non oppressed. 
Jesus brings peace to every situation. Yeah, yeah. Abraham says something interesting to uh, to the rich man and how he says, you know, Lazarus sat at your gate and took the crumbs of the, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and you fared sumptuously your whole mm-hmm. life. Now, now it's the other way around. Yeah. Now he's blessed, and you're and you're you're in hell. But it was and, about salvation it wasn't about what class of person they were yeah and you know it's interesting the rich man didn't say hey go tell my brothers that they need equity or equality you know of course here's the rich man in hell and he's saying hey no go tell them they need jesus go tell them that there's a hell and that they need to be in hell." that's all he cared about he knew he was he knew he was doomed he knew he did not a a lot of so many interesting things about that story but we're getting on rabbit trail but he he knew that there was no hope for him yeah. after after death without yeah. Jesus Christ, and that's what it's all about. Like you said, yeah. uh, it's all about Jesus Christ, salvation through, yeah. through Jesus Christ. All right, so we're going to talk about the Mormon missionary who learns about Jesus Christ in the next uh, segment. This is a great story about uh, um, a Mormon missionary going out on his two year stint or whatever it is they do, and he runs into a Baptist preacher, uh, and that's. Generally a good thing. Generally a good <laughs> that thing. That makes a difference. <laughs> it does. Um, you're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show with Mike Azinger, your state senator and pastor, Brian Leversey, pastor. Fellowship Baptist Church, the only radio show in America where you will experience a fusion of church and state. We're going to talk about this segment. Former Mormon missionary finds Jesus after attempting to convert Baptist pastor. That's a great story. You're a Baptist pastor. So I that, that does give I you am. the yeah. giggles, doesn't yeah. it? All right, so i got to find my glasses here. Hold on. There they are right here. A group of, uh, oh, wait a minute, wrong, wrong paragraph. Growing up, Micah Wilder. Micah, that's a good boy. It is. <laughs> Micah Wilder was the model Mormon from rigorously observing the laws of his religion to serving in leadership positions in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Wilder did everything he could to establish right standing with God. In my family, the Mormon religion wasn't just the church we attended on a Sunday morning. It was really part of the identity and the fabric of our lives, he told the Christian Post. Mormonism was who we were. Everything else was subservient to our religious identity in Mormonism. We were the prototypical, wonderful, happy family, but yet we didn't have the knowledge of God in Christ, Micah said. After graduating high school for one semester, Michael Wilder attended Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, where his mother worked. During the time, he worked in a Mormon temple to prepare himself for the most important two years of his life, his full-time Latter-day Saint mission. That's where you see him on the bicycles mm-hmm. with the yep. white shirt. Uh, Mormonism is a works-based faith, he said. There's the bottom line, folks. Every every religion uh, outside of Jesus Christ is works-based. That's right. There's only two religions in the world. Two. Yep. 
Works and grace. Um, works and grace. Mormonism is a workspace faith. So I was faithful in my church attendance. I tithed. I followed the moral codes and went to the Mormon temple and so on. Believing these things contributed to my right standing with God. I longed for intimacy with him. Isn't that, hmm. isn't that funny? You know, he's trying to work his way to, to heaven, but he didn't want to— uh, he didn't want to acquire salvation through works. He wanted intimacy. Yeah. He wanted a relationship. Yep. That's our, our natural desire because of the fingerprint of God on yep. us. I tried so hard to live out the tenets of my faith. I had a desire to be everything that I thought I needed to be according to the standard of my religion, he recalled. Of course, unfortunately, that bred a burden on my shoulders where there was an uncertainty as to whether or not I'd ever done enough. Yeah. Works religions, you can never know for sure if you've done enough. Yeah, there's no target. There's no definition yeah. of, of achievement, yeah. right, or of uh, a standard. At the age of 19, Michael Wilder was sent to Orlando, Florida, as a missionary for the LDS Church. Just months into his mission, the teen confronted a Baptist minister. What's the problem with you guys? <laughs> I know. What is it rough. with you guys? <laughs> he confronted a Baptist minister. Pastor Alan Benson, with the intention of converting him to Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Didn't go that way. I was as confident as a a Mormon missionary as you would ever be, and I really had a sincere desire to bring other people to what I believed was the truth. Mm -hmm. Wilder viewed Christians as a specific challenge, he said, because growing up he was taught that evangelicals practiced a cheap faith that they believed their lives didn't necessarily need to reflect the faith they claimed to profess. We were taught that Christians would claim to be born again, and then they would use that grace as a license to sin. Does that happen? It does. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think it does. I think he might have an argument yeah. against us. Uh, but uh, so they would use that grace as a license to sin and live as they please in the flesh. He said, of course, I didn't understand what grace meant and what the gospel really means and how saving faith transforms the heart and the individual. Benson listened to Wilder's presentation. Benson, being the uh, Baptist preacher, listened to Wilder's presentation before gently responding with his own. This is interesting, Pastor, how this Baptist preacher responds. Um, he's, um, let's see, so Wilder, the, uh, uh, Michael Wilder, the Mormon, said, he presented the gospel to me. He told me about the depth of God's love for me in Christ and that Christ's love for mankind was so great that he died on the cross and paid for our sins in full measure, mm-hmm. everything. He told me that God's grace is given to us as a gift, that our sins can be washed away and forgiven. It was the first, this is amazing, the first time I'd heard the gospel presented in that way. Wow. How about that? The idea that salvation and eternal life are a free gift from God and did not need to be earned was, quote, not only completely contradictory to what I had taught and believed growing up, but it was also something that I would have seen as foolishness. Foolishness, he said. My main response was, um... Baptist preacher, that's just too simple. <laughs> too simple. I was very taken aback that um, 
I was very taken aback by that and felt unprepared to really defend my own faith because a lot of these Bible passages I never really heard growing up, so I didn't necessarily have a defense for them. It was a very frustrating experience for me, even to the point that I say I was angry. So he's mad. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's what truth can do that it to does. you. Again. You know, when someone presents the truth to you and you know you're wrong, uh, anger. Yep. Not me. No, I would never do that, but other people. <laughs> I know. The pastor then presented Wilder with a challenge. He told me to read the Bible like a child, as a child would read the Bible. Except you become as a child. Is yeah. that the verse? Yeah. Except you become as a child. He told me to read the Bible as a child, Wilder said. Essentially, he was encouraging me to approach God's Word without presuppositions, to separate it from the religious lenses of Mormonism, and just approach it in humility and seeking for truth, allowing God through his word to reveal the truth. His interest peaked. The devout Mormon spent the next 20 months. Hmm. That's almost two years. Wow. Reading the New Testament from start to finish over and over again. Hmm. How about that? That Baptist preacher very wisely said, just read it like a child, not as a Mormon. As a child, over time, his eyes were open to the truth of the gospel. I realized I could have, he said, I realized I could have good standing with God, not based on my goodness or our righteousness and not contingent upon my works or efforts or merits, but solely on the finished work and merits of Christ. Mm. Not on something I could do, but on what Jesus Christ could do. And that's the conclusion that Scripture always brings you to when you read it for what it says. Oh, wow, that's good. Less than a month left on his two-year mission, Wilder was confronted by his LDS leaders. Uh Uh-oh, they get word of it. Yep, they do. (laughs) Less than a month left on his... (laughs) Less than a month left. He almost got out of there, but they found out. What if God had something to do with that? Wilder was confronted by his LDS leaders, Latter-day Saints leaders, about his newfound beliefs. His mission cut short. The young man returned to Utah to face discipline from the church leaders. Wow. That's how it always happens. Mm -hmm. I was told that I was filled with the spirit of the devil and being deceived, he said. Wow. That's rough. I was told I was on the path to hell. They threatened to excommunicate me because of my testimony. Undeterred, Wilder shared his discovery with his family, friends, and high school girlfriend, Alicia, who at the time was a student at BYU. Hmm. Oh, that would be, that he had to be looking forward to that, oh, getting man. to tell his girlfriend, look, babe, I'm a. Uh, well, you're uh, so entrenched in this. Yes, I mean, really, it, it's, it's part of everything. It, it, it is. Uh, so, um, so he tells his girlfriend Alicia, who at the time was a student at uh, Brigham Young. Incredibly, he said, the dominoes started falling one by one. God worked in their hearts and minds. He said, Alicia, his girlfriend, read the Bible and embraced the true gospel. Hmm. His mother and father left the Mormon Church, and his mother walked away from her job at Brigham Young. Yeah. They lost everything in the world, but they gained life in Christ, which we know is the greatest trade that we can ever wow. make. Yeah. So he's got a book. The book's called Passport to Heaven. So this was like 15 years ago. The true story of a zealous Mormon, er- Mormon missionary um, who discovers the Jesus he never knew. His purpose in sharing his story, he said, is to tell others 
drowning in a works-based religion. Wow. That's a great way to describe it, it. drowning in a works-based religion. So to tell them, folks, that are drowning in a works-based religion of the divine mercy, freedom, and grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So he's been married for 15 years now to his high school sweetheart, who got saved. They have three sons. They have a ministry called uh, Adam's Road Ministry, a nonprofit uh, that tells, uh, shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. That's uh, amazing. So two other members of Adam's Road were also one time Latter-day Saints missionaries. Hmm. How about that? Over the years, he said the ministry has helped numerous Mormons leave their former religion and find freedom in Jesus Christ. One more paragraph here. Um, it's a very slow and difficult and painful process, he said. I think a lot of Christians don't have an understanding of the amount of compassion that we need to have yeah. toward people coming out of something like Mormonism because it's so cultural, like yeah. you said. Proclaiming the truth can mean losing everything. Yeah. It can mean losing marriages and relationships with children, friends, community jobs, financial security. So yeah. he said one last interesting paragraph and we're done had a baptist pastor not shared the gospel with me in love and truth and planted the seed of the word of god i don't know where i'd be today hmm. the fact that it took 19 years for me to clearly hear the gospel is a sad reality we want to encourage the body of christ to be loving and truthful witnesses of the gospel because it is life-changing so wow. you never know yeah. you never know and uh, you know we make fun of those guys Riding their bikes uh, with the white shirts and uh, going wherever they're going, but but here's a guy who who was on uh, almost done with his missionary journey, or I guess what, he probably st just when he started out is when he met the Baptist preacher and started reading the Bible. Wow, yeah, I, I uh, of course ministered in areas that were highly populated with Mormonism. Uh, Arizona, in, in the area that we were near, Mesa, Arizona, they had a big Mormon temple there. Gilbert, Arizona, they got a big Mormon temple there. And then in Southern California, uh, area we were in, there was a, a good presence of Mormonism. And, uh, of course, we go out um, evangelizing in an area, knocking on doors, you know, introducing people to the to the gospel or inviting them to come to church. We'd run into Mormon families. And the whole time when we spoke to countless Mormons, we had one Mormon family uh, in Arizona that came out of Mormonism and ended up getting saved and ended up being part of the church. But boy, I'll tell you what, um, problems at their job, problem in the family. I mean, the pressure was immense. The one family in Southern California that were able to lead to the Lord and, and have come to our church, uh, he was a contractor and all of his, his jobs would go away. Oh Nobody'd goodness. hire him. Uh, he'd get notes left in his car about, you know, things that were going to happen to him and his family if they didn't renounce, you know, this new faith and come back to the Mormon, you know, faith. I mean, it was scary, the kind of pressure that was exerted on these folks. Uh, that's that's amazing, and, and that shows you the the fruit of Mormonism. That's, that's, that's what happened. When someone leaves the Mormon church, their visceral reaction is revenge. And I'm going to be honest control. with you, that cultish mentality— really occupies any place where somebody sets them up in their own self-righteousness. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's been some Baptist situations that have not been too far off from that. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. I can't imagine that being true. All right, we got one segment to go. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Plymouth, Massachusetts, some Christian history when we get back. 
Um, and that'll that'll finish up the show for today. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. And we were going to do a segment on uh, Plymouth, um, but we, we're not. <laughs> and that's all. <laughs> that's all. We don't have it in us. I have just gone through uh, COVID, and I do not have 10 minutes of no. uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts no. in me. No, let's do something different. We're, we're going to do something different. We've, uh, so I forgot my book for uh, the second time on um, um, etiquette. It's, it's on is manliness, it manliness, the art yeah, of manliness. Right, of manliness. My, yeah. my famous book that uh, that you wrote and forget, <laughs> forget. <laughs> but uh, so we'll bring that. We'll get back into that next week. Um, but you know what? We might uh, we might take a little diversion here because during the break we just started googling stuff, found a little article here that's. Pretty cool. 33 Forgotten Etiquette Rules to Practice for Impeccable Manners. We don't want just average manners. We We want want ours impeccable. I like that. All right. People were far more polite back in the day. Yeah. Amen to that. This is an article from 2019. Uh, Callie Coleman. So Callie is right on here. So we're going to go through 10 of these. Okay. Let's do it. All right. 10. Um, Let's see here. Let me just read this little forward here. Etiquette rules don't always age well. In fact, some from centuries ago seem downright ridiculous today. I'm thinking they don't. They're just PC, not right. PC. Right. Uh, for example, in the 1883 Manners Manual, American Etiquette and Rules of Politeness, that would be a good book to find. I think it would. I hey, think maybe we you need can find to find it at that. one of those uh, antique stores like we found. Hey, there you go. Professor Walter Houghton. And his colleagues explained that when a man is introduced to a woman, quote, both should bow slightly, and it is the duty of the gentleman to start a conversation, end quote. Oh. How about that? That is gutsy. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. It is. Could so you imagine? We're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here we go. Number one, if you chance to be in the company, even the, even the way these are written are like old times. Yeah. If you chance to be in the company of an inferior, do not let him feel his inferiority. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, that would be like all the time. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, how do excuse we, me, uh, you're inferior uh, to me, but I, um, I'm not going to make you feel that way. <laughs> but the point being that if if you're uh, a man of stature, or maybe maybe you have um, uh, a certain status in in business or bank or not banking but in business in general or whatever mm-hmm. or even like a, a preacher preacher's been around for a long time and he's you know maybe he has a big church mm-hmm. and he's with other guys that don't to show some humility right. Have would grace that be true? And, yeah and be willing to learn and you know i think that there's definitely room to to not take up all the room there you go. If you chance to be in the company of an inferior, do not let him feel his inferiority. So just be normal with folks. That's be right. merciful. Jesus was like that, oh, right? Oh, man. Huh? I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. I was going to bring this up during the show, for, but we changed course on some stuff. But just like uh, 
Uh, oh, I know why. Because I was reading a story about the Taliban and Sharia law and how evil and wicked it is and how awful they are to to women. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what did Jesus do with the woman at the well? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he Christianity always lifts uh, our our the 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 female mm-hmm. uh, yeah up. He even stood in for the the lady that was about to be stoned for her yes. behavior, and yes. and she wasn't grace, innocent and either. She was, was not she? innocent. No. So number two, the private property of others should be carefully respected. Yes. Hey. what? What happened to my sunglasses? Did you? <laughs> did you? They looked really nice. <laughs> They're Ray Bans. Yeah, and hey, uh, you're from California, quality. so you're know the first that. suspect. That's I right. <laughs> all right, the private property of others should be carefully respected. This Number needs two. to be taught to kids too. I mean, from a young age, you need, you need to be taught that. I yeah. think if you're taught private property, you will not become a Marxist. That's right. How about that. Number three, never engage a person in private conversation in the presence of others. I, and, Nothing makes you feel out of place more than somebody whispering yes. in your presence. Yes. Don't do that, nor make any mysterious allusions which no one else understands. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, that that is a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, inside jokes are rough. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're not the one inside. Yeah, you're nothing like, like being uh, on the outside. Number four, never waste the time of others by making them wait for you. Wow. That is Beyond good. time. How about <laughs> that is good. That makes a lot of difference. Number five, do not show a want of courtesy by consulting your watch either at home or abroad. Wow. So oh, man. You I mentioned know a certain people are thinking that. the same thing I am. Number six, it is your duty to seem interested in the conversation of those who are talking. So act like... <laughs> <laughs> if somebody's telling you their medical problems, act like you're interested. Well, this is one thing that always bothered me, and I've been in in different conferences and different meetings, both secularly and for church, like with pastors. And one of the things that irritates the life out of me is you're talking with someone, and they're always looking for the next person yes. that they need to be talking to. Like yes. they're looking past you and yes. scanning the room, and uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, yes. uh-huh, and and not paying attention to anything that you're saying. That is the worst. Yeah. I'm glad I've never done that. <laughs> it is your duty to seem interested in the conversation of those who are talking. Yeah. So be with whoever you're yeah. with and talk to them. Number seven. Uh, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, let's see. Gossip and tailbearing are always a personal confession of malice and imbecility. Gossip and tailbearing, yeah, those are bad. Number eight, it is very rude and an extreme violation of the rules of etiquette to make an engagement, either a business or pleasure, and break it. Oh, Uh -oh. yeah. Yeah, that, do that, not that break your out. appointments. Yeah, sometimes it can't be helped, but that should be very rare occurrence. Should be very rare. So this is the, whoever wrote this back in eighteen eighty three. They knew what they I were think, talking about. They're mad. Yeah, so they're they, mad. They're, they're grievances. <laughs> somebody just stood them up. That's right. And uh, he waited there on his horse for. Uh, uh, like, I'm writing this down. Uh, number nine, an invitation once given. <laughs> I, uh, an invitation once given cannot be recalled. <laughs> How do you do that? That's rough. That's, that's really bad. Oh, uh, hey, Bob. Um, well, you're uninvited. You, uh, <laughs> gee, we thought we had enough room, but we don't. And guess who made the list of uh, 
getting uninvited. All right, an invitation once given cannot be recalled. These are basic stuff, though, that that uh, that every every. So from time to time, as a pastor, everyone should know. I I get involved in people's events, like weddings and stuff. And there was this one time these people were planning a wedding, and they misread the pricing sheet per head of the the wedding how many they could have. Is that a problem? And so they put out a certain amount of invitations and then came to me and said, hey, it's going to be way too expensive. We read this wrong. And now how do we go about telling some people that? And I'm like, "Uh, I'm sorry, that's not my uh, job description (laughs) to figure that one out. (laughs) Go, uh, your next next visit should be to the bank. That's right. Ask them for a loan. loan. An invitation once given cannot be recalled. Number 10, I think we'll continue with these next week Mm because these are good. Number 10, never ask impertinent questions. Never betray a curiosity to know of the private and domestic affairs of others. In other words, don't ask rude questions. Don't be nosy. Never ask impertinent questions. How old are you? How much do you weigh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Never betray a curiosity to know the private and domestic affairs of oh. others. That was rough. Whose idea was I that? Know, I'm man. thinking. <laughs> I got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do this next week. So we got. Uh, we'll do two more weeks of this, and then get back into the uh, right. art of manly art of manliness book. But we're done for today. Uh, see, next week is uh, you'll be out of town next I'll be week. Out of town. So we're going to do a rerun next week. Is that right? No, or this gonna... is the show. This. This so is we're next a week, week ahead. Yeah, we're a week we're ahead. We're a week ahead. That's yep. right. Okay. So if you're listening to this right now, we, we, you're in the week of the 11th. Is that right? Yeah. The 10th? 10th. All we right. The 10th. All right, folks. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you very much. This is the Voice of Truth Radio Show with Mike Azinger and Brian Leversey. We'll see you next time. Have a great day. I will choose to-